welcome to episode five, where we have Galip. Galip is uh, Galip is a person I've known for for many years, and I'm so excited to have him on the People First podcast. Remember, this is a podcast where we talk about the challenges that people have faced and how they've gotten from point A to point B and managed to thrive instead of drop off the face of the earth. So Galip has done this in many ways, and I am so excited to share his story with all of you. Um, I've been meaning to get Galip on the podcast for many weeks, and we finally found some time where we we're able to get him here and both free. So uh, I want to first off just welcome you, Galip. Thanks for coming in, buddy. Oh, thanks for having me here, Shane. No, you're welcome, and I am so excited to hear all about your journey. But before we get into that, before we get stuck into the meat, I really want you to tell me who you are. Okay, so as you mentioned, my name is Galip. Um, I get a whole lot of different variations to that. Uh, I think you call me G-Lip a couple of times. Jarlip. Jarlip. G-Lip. And stuff like that. But yeah, so my name's Galip. I'm a husband. I've been married for five years, been together for about 12. Uh, we have two kids, a four-year-old that acts like a two-year-old and a two-year-old that wants to act like a four-year-old. <laughs> um, and I've got... Uh, one brother and one sister and I work full time, train part time and yeah, so try and keep myself busy. Just recently finished university. Um, what, what were you studying at university? Uh, I was Bachelor of Natural Science, Environment and Health, uh, which is really relevant at the moment because it deals in a lot of public health issues. Uh, especially with all the virus and COVID-19, et cetera, going on at the moment. So it's actually quite relevant. Um, been dealing with a lot of that at work as well. Mm. And how long did it take you to uh, to get to that place to, for your uni degree? Oh, for my uni degree? Oh, it's a, been a long, long road, Shane. Um, I first applied for uni in 2011, Whoa. started studying 2012 and finished at the end of this, uh, end of last year, sorry, and was meant to graduate this month but they cancelled it because we're not allowed to have mass gatherings anymore. No. How does that make you feel? Like, I mean, that would be something that you've worked so hard 10 years for, 10 solid years, and now all of a sudden, you know, well, it's funny that you almost work in public health, and now because of public health, uh, you can't graduate. Well, you can graduate, you just can't celebrate the graduation. Yeah, exactly right. It's really frustrating. I was looking really forward to it. It's what I've worked for is to walk up on that stage and get my certificate. Uh, now it's just going to be emailed to me, which is a bit anticlimactic. Uh, the good thing is I've been working in the field for you know, four to five years as well. So I've had a lot of time in that. Yeah, to enjoy it, to enjoy what you've uh, we've done. Now, you said you're a, a father of two. What are your? Do you mind sharing what your kids' names are? Yeah, so uh, I've got a four-year-old. Her name's Esra. Um, so E-S-R-A. Uh, she is really pushing the limits at the moment. <laughs> I can say that. Um, but, yeah, she's a little go-getter, loves her arts and craft, et cetera. And then um, we've also got a little two-year-old who's a little daredevil. <laughs> And likes to copy her sister and everything she does. So um, they both recently started to learn to ride their bikes uh, with the pedals. Uh, so they're both really excited about that. So And what was her name, was it? Isla. Isla. What a beautiful name. You, you picked good names. I mean, I mean, you started off with an average one. I mean, Jalip, Galip, I mean, pushing the limits there with names. But, man, you've taken <laughs> Ezra and Isla. Perfect, perfect names. 
I Samantha picked the names. Uh, <laughs> your so wife is your wife is Samantha. Yes, that's right. Ah, uh, you give her all the credit for it. That's yeah. much better. Good idea. Good brownie points too. Yeah, I realise that because I think I've got the amount of years that we've been married wrong. So, <laughs> and how speaking, well, how long did you did you be married for? Uh, we got married in 2014, so it's six years. I think I, think I said five years earlier. Oh, let's see whether or not you get in trouble for this when it airs. See whether or not you get a few text messages from the, the family and from uh, a few dirty looks from your wife. <laughs> yeah, I might not get talked to for a couple of hours. Oh, God, we could only be so lucky. All right. <laughs> I wanted to go through some things with you, bud, because, you know, the reason I asked you to be on the podcast is not just because, you know, we wanted to fill an hour. You have done... And we've only touched on a few things just in your intro, like you've been, you know, you've done a 10-year uni degree. You've, that's dedication, that's discipline, and we are all about discipline on this podcast. One of the things that I want to highlight is that everyone can be more disciplined than they think they can be, and if they are, they're going to get more from life. I mean, that is one avenue. You did that for 10 years. That's awesome. But there are some other things that you've gone and done and things that you've achieved. You're a dad um, that in itself is a challenge and that in itself is a big thing. And I want to talk about some of your other challenges. Um, if you were to tell me what your biggest challenge was to date, or even something that may not have been the biggest, but something that is deep in your mind, it's ingrained there. Because sometimes I think challenges, are, are, you know, they're just challenges and I don't want to rate them on a one to 10 scale because they're all quite traumatic, hence why they're challenges. But if you were to give me and talk about one today, in this moment, in this hour, we're going to spend a bit of time talking about at least one. What would it be that you'd want to talk about? I'd have to say my biggest challenge is being a dad. Um, and not just being a dad, it's being a good dad, uh, being a present dad. Um, I want to be there for my two girls, be there for as long as possible. Um, and saying that is why I go through and done other things in life, other challenges as well. And going through other journeys is just to try and be there for them uh, for as long as possible, as present as possible. Um, they're they're the reason why you know, I wake up every day before five o'clock just to get out there and you know, do my work and do what needs to be done, just so I can be there for them. Now, if there's one thing I know about you, Galip, and you know I've known you I, I, for those of you who are listening, I've known Galip for many years. What is it? Uh, I probably met you when I was sixteen or fifteen. Uh, been about 12 years. Yeah. I met you through my wife, <laughs> through yeah. Samantha, so yeah. we've been together 12 years, so we'll we, about that. Which is, uh, which is a long time, so I've known you for several years at least, yeah, same, same amount of time that you've known your wife, so really, it's like we've been in a relationship for that long, buddy. Um, so yeah, just so enough, you're yeah. Aware, it's our anniversary <laughs> coming up, but anyway, um, but yeah, from my interactions with you, one thing I've always known is you to be a very loyal, very respectful and very true to your word. And, you know, you say one of your biggest challenges is being a dad. I mean, that I'm a, I'm a new dad, you know, three years in. I, I still consider that brand new, trust me. There's a lot I don't know. Um, but what I want to talk to you about, and it's something that we can bounce off of each other because we both have kids, and those listening who do or who are wanting kids can sort of take some of your advice in. If you were to give some advice to the people listening with kids or without kids, and you're like, you know what? Here's one thing that I never knew was going to happen to me the day that I kind of, or even if you didn't decide, decided to, or didn't decide to have kids. Thinking and looking back, what is one, one challenge that you've gone, wow, that blindsided me. It, it hit me from 
from the left and I've just been sort of whacked out and I never knew that was going to be a challenge. And if you want to fill us in on that. Uh, the biggest challenge would be the from the start, wouldn't it? It'd be from the first day that Esra was born. So she just turned four uh, in February. Um, so it's been four years now and it's just the change. It's It's a big change. It starts off with just two of you the day before. Um, your, you know, your wife or your partner has been a mum for up to nine months, um, but you don't become a father until they're born, right? So the day they're born, it's gone from just the two of you. It's only yourself that you have to really worry about, and your wife. And then there's somebody there that can't do anything for themselves. You need to start changing nappies, getting bottles ready, and then still looking after your partner as well if they've. Had their issues due to the birth, etc. Um, did Samantha, did Samantha have any issues during pregnancy? Was it a normal pregnancy? Uh, our our pregnancies were smooth for both of them. We had no issues whatsoever. Um, we had a little bit of trouble falling pregnant to start with, uh, especially with Esra. Um, but it wasn't bad or difficult compared to a lot of what other people have gone through. But everyone has their own uh, difficulties and their own journeys as it is. So. Um. Yes, but once we were pregnant, it was smooth. Everything ran along smoothly. Samantha is very regiment when it comes to her routines and her times. If we need to be somewhere at a certain time, we're there at that time. And Essa was exactly the same. She was born on her due date. Wow. Her, so, was, so was Quinn, funnily enough. Yeah, so <laughs> Samantha went into labour just she's before been, midnight. Being late ever since and everything else. So Samantha, um, no, she went into labour just before midnight, um, the day before she was due, and then born on the day she was due. So, now talk us through talk us through that moment because I think a lot of people listening um, would be interested. You know, um, just before midnight, you know, Samantha's sitting there, she's going glip. I think it's time. You know, where were you guys? What were you going through? Ah, uh, so we were, I was asleep. Um, I, I I remember this really clearly. So went to bed about 10 o'clock. Um, there was a big storm that night. Um, I have a tiny little hole in my roof in the sunlight, uh, which normally gets caught on the tiles underneath. But uh, Samantha came running into the room, woke me up. She goes, there's a leak, there's a leak. I'm like, okay, here we go. The, the ceiling's finally leaking through. <laughs> um, and then went in there. She goes, no, it's not the ceiling. My water's <laughs> broke. Um, so then the next next minute, Different rushing, off, yeah, rushing off to the hospital. Um, we're there for the next few hours and... Came home with the baby. Oh, beautiful. And yeah. day one, you say, is, is the challenge and it all begins, right? Do you remember the first step? And I remember this with Quinn, the first step out of the hospital. I remember having this tiny little life in a, we'd put her in the, the car seat already so that we didn't have to fumble around when we got to the car. So we brought the car seat up, put her in the car seat. With this tiny little head, this tiny little hands and this tiny little body in this huge seat and her little eyes were looking around and we're trying to get her from the hospital home and already we were failing at that thing so <laughs> strapping her in was the hardest thing in the world to do the first thing that i did was lose the car park ticket <laughs> so we couldn't get out of the car park <laughs> on the way home so you're already already winning at being a dad you're like oh jesus you know i really wanted to to do this job properly just get my little my little girl home and boom just like where's the car ticket no idea now i paid for that car ticket <laughs> lost it from the pay station to the car <laughs> oh no now 
you get her home, right? And so being a dad is one of your biggest challenges. Where where did you look to for help in that first couple of days? Was it something that you just took upon your own shoulders? Is it something that, you know, did you have someone there? Did you have a, your dad? Did you know did you have your mom? Did you have someone there with you to, you know, fill me in a little bit, you know? Who was there to help Galit? Because, you know, I feel sometimes, you know, as guys, we are expected to, you know, kind of brunt the the force, so to speak, of, of managing everything else outside the baby's life, right? The work, the finances, you know, everything like that in just in that moment. And this is not always the case, but especially in your situation and, and so far in mine, that first day, Chloe's responsibility on that day was to give birth and then to recover. And my responsibility was everything else, you know, around that. Okay, can I get home can we get her safely then can i make sure the the house is you know reasonable bills are paid whatnot where did you look to for your your support who was there for you we we had a lot of good support um i can't remember the first few weeks um when i say it's a big change when the when that baby comes along when Esther came along for me that time in my life was a big change as well i got offered a new job uh, which started which was meant to start the week before Esther was born. I was able to off-track that for a month and start a couple of weeks after she was born. Um, so it was a change in job as well. So I remember losing that car ticket and, get, and trying to get out of the car park at the hospital. But until I started my new job, two weeks after that, I don't remember much. Uh, it was all a big whirl, uh, like a whirlwind. whirlwind. But I know Samantha and I, we both have a really good support base um, Samantha's got her mom, her dad, uh, have been really supportful. My parents have been really supportful, uh, as well as my sister. So we had that, my sister was overseas at the time, but, um, we had a really good support base, um, and we continue to have that support base. So I'm sure they were there for us. And I'm sorry to all of you. I don't remember those first two weeks. I remember, um, snippets here and there, um, being home, um, story that I do want to tell is the frustrations that I actually had. Um, there was this one time Esther was crying, couldn't get her to settle. Samantha wasn't feeling the best, so, you know, she, she just gave birth. Um, and Esther being, you know, she was only a few days old and just getting frustrated at a baby that's a couple of days old mm. and just, just trying to tell her to be quiet. But I actually told her, I go, just, just shut up, please, <laughs> to her face. And I felt guilty. Instantly, you feel yeah. guilty. I'm like, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's a, she's two year, two days old, two weeks old, however old it was. And I remember that frustration. And at that point, that's when I made the decision to not or to be more patient mm. um, and try and become more patient. Um, you speak to my family. I'm not the pa- most patient person out there, but I remember my dad telling me a couple of years after that point. He's like, with everything else, you're not really patient, but with your kids, you are patient, and that's something that I mentally thought about and something mm. that I mentally tried to do. Um, they're really testing that at the moment. Um, terrible twos and three nature, four yeah. nature. Um, but that's something that I do try to do is mentally just not not become as frustrated to them as, as I can. Um, it doesn't always work, but that, that's, that's what I try to do with them is just try and get through that frustration, not show my frustrations to them. Um, I think it's important to remember that um, I mean, our kids look to us. Well, this is my interpretation, and I could be wrong, and I'm not trained in, uh, in, in child psychology, but 
from my understanding of having a child and being who I am, our kids look to us to teach them how to manage their emotion. And if we lose our control and we can't manage anger, we can't manage frustration, we can't manage sadness, happiness, whatnot, if we don't know how to properly manage those emotions, we're teaching them. And so th- so we look at them like they should. Sometimes like in that situation, you looked at Ezra and like, well, you know, be quiet. She has not yet learnt from you yet how to manage frustration. Maybe she was frustrated in that moment. Surely she was. She was two days or two weeks old. She was frustrated. But so it's interesting that you say that because as a reminder to anyone listening who probably, you know, has kids or will have kids, it's a reminder to us or wants them that we need to be the person that stands in front of that, in front of our children and teaches them how to manage and, you know, um, assimilate their their emotion and not just get frustrated like that so it's because not a lot of people see that they just sort of keep yelling and yelling and yelling at their kids and i mean i'm put my hand up i've yelled at quinn for hours on end sometimes and gone at the end of it what did i what did that achieve nothing it it just makes them more frustrated at the same time um i've i've yelled at esther and she's turned back around said why are you yelling at me and it's made me stop and think and why am i yelling at you you don't know what's going on you're all right she's three years old at this point like you're still learning. Like mm. I'm, I'm 30 years older than you, and I'm still learning. So still haven't got it. <laughs> still haven't got it. That's right. So she's, um, it's, it's taking that step back and just going, why am I yelling at you? Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Um, this is what you've done wrong, or this is why you're frustrating me, yeah. uh, and getting, getting to that point. I remember hearing of, um, of a, I think it was a podcast with a child psychologist actually, and they were talking about. Um, dealing with you know emotional kids, um, and there was a, obviously there's a different level for every child and, and their emotional needs. But I remember them saying, you know, sometimes we just forget to explain the moment to the child. Like you know, I mean, and trust me, I know that this. I mean, with me as a five year old, this probably wouldn't have worked straight away, but over time it might have. You know, explaining to me what what was going on in the situation, giving me that respect, rather than always having this dominance or power effect where you think if I yell out enough, they'll eventually submit and do what I tell them to do. You know, I think it's important to remember that you know it's not always about dominance, but it's about understanding and a and a dual responsibility. And it works faster. Um, just as I said, we're not child psychologists, but from my experience with my kids, is if. I'm not screaming if I'm not stru- frustrated at them. What I want them to do happens quicker. Mm. If I'm yelling and screaming, it takes a lot longer. Yeah, I mean, I know that if we ever yell at Quinn, she just breaks down emotionally. And that's not what we want to, we don't want to teach that in her. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because that is a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge that we all face. And whether or not, it depends on your beliefs. Everyone's going to have their own belief on how they should raise their kids. And their beliefs are normally created by their uh, scenarios in life and the, and the stories and the, the journey that they've gone on. And that creates their belief system. Their belief system will then be passed down to their kids. And I hope that, um, you know, I hope that I pass something down to Quinn that's, you know, a little bit better than sort of what I had, which was being um, disciplined through aggressive, argumentative tones <laughs> rather than, you know, a respect and an understanding. And saying that as well, there's, there's no right way or wrong way. Um, it's, you got to find what works best for your kids uh, yes, going out there. I've a lot of my friends now have kids um, and we all have our different methods. doesn't mean it's wrong or right. Um, as you said, as long as you raise your kids with the right uh, morals and they get the right support, um, you're doing a good job. Mm. Now, I wanted to talk to you as well about um, your weight loss journey 
Now, one of the reasons that uh, me and Gloop have such a good friendship is because he's been at our gym now uh, for how many years? Uh, this time, uh, probably about two to three years, but then there was a couple of times I've been on and off, our on and off relationship. Um, <laughs> on again, off you again. You were seeing other people, <laughs> as the way I put it. From other, I was seeing other people. You did live far away, so it was... I, I do come back, though. Yes, and you've, done, uh, you've had quite the journey in the last year, and so I really wanted to highlight that, Glip, because there are many people who know you, but they don't know your journey. Now, you've lost over, what, 20... One kilos this last 12-month period? Oh, it, it varies. Um, it depends on the week or the weekend I've had. <laughs> um, if you follow me on the Instagram, you'd find that there are times when I do like to go and have some big meals or a lot of meals in a day, um, which might change it. But I would think Galit would make as a second job. You know those um, YouTube eaters? You know, they're, they're, what are they called? Um, that's like a sport. Like a competition eater? Yeah, like I reckon you, and who can eat the most? Like they eat like 30,000 calories in a sitting. I think you would, I watched your meals. You'll go to like a noodle market in the city and he'll post up meal one and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, meal one. And then I'll keep scrolling through. I'm expecting four meals, right? And then by the time I stop scrolling, I'm at meal like nine. And I'm like, Jesus, how did you even fit nine? And they're not, then they're meals, not snacks. These are meals. There are snacks thrown in between. <laughs> Exactly. I just call them meals. <laughs> exactly. Snacks in between the freaking meals. So, uh, yeah, t- tell me about the journey. Like, what you know, you, you have lost over 21 kilos. You've done a great job. You would have probably lost more than that considering how much you may or may not have put back on on those weekends. Um, uh, so it's it's been a long journey. This has started in my childhood. Um, it's – I've always – there's always been some sort of meal plan or watch what you're eating type situation coming from my mum. Um, always been on the chubbier side as, as a child growing up. Um, I used to l- love eating my Maccas and my thick shakes and all the fast food, uh, pizzas, kebabs, etc. Um, so yeah, so it started to get a bit out of hand. Um, so before we got married, it was probably like second or third time I started to lose some weight. Um, it's probably the biggest weight loss I had and it was before that was when I was at my biggest point, which was pushing 120 kilos. Um, what do you now? What do you weigh now for reference? At the moment, 85. Awesome. Um, but at that point, um, before I got married, probably dropped uh, about 15, 15, 20 kilos at that point. Got to roughly 90 kilos there. Um, and then we got married and went on our extended honeymoon, uh, which involved a lot of food. Um, we were sightseeing at the same time, so there was a lot of walking and hiking and trekking and climbing upstairs. Um, so I didn't put too much back on until we got back um, and then just finding that routine again. Um, but in saying that, my health and fitness wasn't what I really wanted or what was, what I was focusing on um, until my uh, until Esther came along uh, about four years ago and made up my mind that I wanted to lose some weight not really lose weight, but just become more healthier in general um, for her at that time, um, but didn't know what to do. So uh, this was one of our off periods um, with Shane and, and his gym. Um, and as I said earlier, I was going through change in life, change of job. Um, uh, we bought a house as well at that time. Um, we found out we are pregnant on the day we were moving. So uh, that was a, another change that was happening around that time um so i didn't know what to do um 
for about two years. Didn't act on it too much, but kept on talking to Samantha how I wanted to change, how I wanted to get healthier and fitter. Um, and then joined a couple of different other gyms um, while I was there um, in that in our off again period. Um, <laughs> our separation. Our period. separation period, a trial separation. Um, and they just didn't work. Uh, we went through, you know, fat loss challenges, et cetera. And I just, although I may have been a little bit fitter than I was before that, um, didn't feel the best still. Um, and then that gym that I was at actually shut down and just pushed me back to, to CrossFit. Um, and it was like, all right, um, just before Isla was born, I'm like, all right, just want to come back, um, see how it goes, see if I can fit it into my routine. And I remember that message. It was out of the blue. I was like, whoa, Galip's just, just randomly popped back up and he's coming in next and then you just showed up. Yeah, it's, um, it's just trying to make it fit um, where I live. I live a good half an hour away from here and then works in half an hour in the other direction. So it was just trying to make it fit into my, my life pretty much uh, is to come here. Um, and my gym shut down. I'm like, all right, this is good enough, good excuse as any. Um, so I came in, um, started working out, didn't focus too much on other lifestyle choices, just two days a week, come in, train, go to work. Uh, and then about six months after that, I'm like, okay, um, I've fit in working out and exercise into my routine. Now try and change food. Um, and so, you know, discussions I've had with Shane and, um, and challenges that he's put on has helped me hone in my diet um, and learn, learn about what I'm eating, how it affects me. Um, the first time we ran through through it with Shane was um, it was meant to be a six week initial period. I pushed it out to three months um, and lost again. I was up above a hundred kilos again and dropped down to a tad over eighty. So lost about twenty kilos at that point. Amazing. And um, just f- could feel how good I felt on the inside. I was sleeping better. I was more alert, like my mental health was a lot better. Um, I haven't had many big mental health issues, thank God, in the past, but I could just feel myself be more alert to things, be alert to my surroundings. and Stable. Exactly. And then my guts as well, just felt my insides a um, hundred times better than what it was. So learning how to eat. Um, so I've stuck around that 80 to 85 kilo range. Sometimes I'll I go up a little bit and come back down, but I know what to do now. And it's just a continued learning process. So uh, getting that diet in and it's not only affected me, but it's affected people around me as well. So Samantha, my wife, she's had a collateral effects from it. She's lost a ton of weight as well. Just eating what I'm eating. We eat the same sort of food. So when we go out and do those uh epic food weekends that I like to call them. <laughs> we do them together, but we know how to mitigate the damage that that, that mm. does. We might you know, not eat that whole day before we go out and have 10 meals at night uh, just so we you know, control our calorie intake and our food intake. I think it's sensible. I, th- I don't know that there's any other way to do it. People go, well, you know, that's deprivation, you know, s- starving yourself. But you're like, no, it's, it's not. Starvation's very, very different 
to um, discipline, right? You've just disciplined yourself that to know that in the next 12 hours or 24 hours, you will be consuming two days worth of food, quite literally, that you're, you're, you're okay and you're fine with restraining from eating every single thing in between now and that, that start period of the f- epic food challenge. And being hungry for a couple of hours isn't starvation. No, not at all. <laughs> being hungry for six months might be starvation. Exactly. And not so eating. people go, you know, intermittent fasting techniques, you know, that you're starving the body. And I, seen, and I, was, I was completely against stuff like that back in the day before I had any information and knowledge and actually had any hands-on experience with intermittent fasting. But back in the day, it was like, oh, you know, you shouldn't starve your body. It's like, well, this is just regurgitated information from a you know a magazine I probably read and I haven't actually put any of it to good practical use. How about I give it a go for a good six to 12 months and then make my own opinions rather than just reading it in a book and saying, well, okay, it says here that I should eat every three hours because some bodybuilder wrote it in a magazine and you know they've got more muscle than me, so therefore they must be more educated. And that's not how it works. I think individual um, anecdotal evidence is really powerful. Yes, the science behind things should be looked at. Yes, the science behind things should play a part in deciding what I do to, like for long term. But we can't go past those anecdotal self-managed experiments, and which is exactly what you're doing, right? Yeah, and in saying that, like those scientific papers and stuff, I'm not sure if they're out there. I'm not saying this is scientific evidence, but if people are using starvation mode as a argument, Starvation mode for one day compared to start doing a starvation mode over and over or intermittent, long intermittent fasts over time is different to, you know, I'm not going to have lunch today just so I can go out and have an extra yeah. piece of dinner. Um, I'm a volume eater. I like to eat big amounts of food. So it's eat less. So I could, if I wanted to, eat six, seven, eight times a day and eat small amounts, but that doesn't satisfy me. I like to eat a big amount of food, so I'll cut down how many meals I have. You've got to make it work with what you enjoy and, and so that you have more satisfaction from your from your life because the reason that we created a lot of the challenges that we create through through the gym here is, yes, the byproduct is that people are leaner. Yes, they have more muscle, whatnot. Yes, that's all, that's all true. But the reason we created it was for simplicity because the last thing I need to be wasting my, my mental energy and my physical energy on is worrying and stressing about what I'm eating, why I'm eating it, how I'm eating it. And also, I don't want to be wasting my time preparing food every single three hours. So we have very simplistic rules that we just live by, and it's just that. It's just a rule that can be changed to fit the appropriate setting. So like I was saying, some days that you know on Friday night you're going to go out and just absolutely destroy a noodle market then you know eating lunch is probably not the biggest thing in the world that you need to do and you can have a little break from food because you're going to be rewarded (laughs) tenfold yeah exactly um and in saying that i do worry about food a lot um we're talking about weight loss i've lost i've seesawed quite a few times um put on 20 lose 20 put on 20 lose 20 etc and what i'm most afraid of probably at the moment is putting that 20 kilos back on so and I don't want to do that because I know how much hard work it was to take it off. Um, I could go and put four kilos on on a weekend. I'll weigh myself Friday, have two days of just binge eating. Come in on a Monday, I'll put four, four kilos on. And saying that, it takes two, three, four weeks to lose it. So one of my biggest fears is putting that 20 kilos back on, not being able to you know, struggle getting out of bed, not being able to wake up uh, in the morning. 
But that's why we teach the psychology behind that. I mean, that's that's generally people's problems is that they will eat well Monday to Friday, then they'll binge on the weekend and then they'll get nowhere. But if we teach the simple psychology behind, you know, the week and managing um, what you do and then managing it through diet control, restrictive control in respects to overall calories or meal timing, then we're going to get much more of a compliance that's not going to lead you back to those those parts because in the last year you've done that, the most you've ever put on is a couple or a handful of kilos, but when you took the rules away. So when the rules decide to fall to the wayside, yes, the change in the physiology starts to happen. Yes, you start to see a change in your waistline and your energy levels. But as soon as you can put those rules back on top of your lifestyle and your routine, everything falls back in line and you see how valuable those rules are rather than worrying about it because you don't know where you're going or how you're going to get there. Yeah, that's right. And I've got the knowledge now. So we've been doing this for one year, two years. Um, I've got I've got the knowledge on what I need to do to get back on track. So I might have a week, a month off and not pay attention to anything. But I do have the skills and the knowledge. Go, okay, I'm not going to measure my food this week, but try and not go overboard at the same time. So I pay attention to that. But come a week to a month later, go, okay, I can start to feel, you know, gut starting to hang over my belt a little bit more i'll go out and start measuring again and making sure that i bring all those rules back in just to bring it back bring bring it all back rein it all back in it's important i think galip leads a very colorful lifestyle in that respect of of diet and food whereas you know i'm not exactly i'm not i'm not wired the same way galip is and this is why it's important right it's very very important to have your structure and your rules although we follow extremely similar rules galip and i both follow the same rules um, I just do that year round, so to speak, and only have maybe a, a maybe a special occasion off here or there or whatnot. Whereas he really enjoys to take periods of, you know, a, a, a whole weekend or maybe a couple of weeks, like he said, or a month, and then come back to it. But the beauty of the fact is that it works, and you are doing what you need to do without the mental breakdown, which is what happens. So people will keep going and keep going and they'll give up and they'll give up for one year. And when they give up for one year or six months, that is when it starts to be a big problem. That means what you were doing wasn't really satisfying you. Whereas if you're coming back to that within the month, within the four week period, within a three week period and getting back on those rules, that means you can see the satisfaction. That means you can see the benefits that it's giving you. So it's so much easier to walk back into it. It's like a, a loving you know, lost and lost friend. You're like, oh, welcome back into my life. It's good to have you here now. I still, I still pay, I, I still pay attention for that month, um, and I'll still go out and make sure. You know, I don't like to say healthy food. I like to say nutritional food for myself, mm. um, and not nutritional um, rather than healthy and unhealthy. Because I'll still have a piece of chocolate every day. Um, it's trying to make it fit into my lifestyle uh, to make sure that I don't go too overboard. So. Um, even though I've taken a, a month off, hypothetical month off from this, I'll still make sure that I might have to measure my food just to make sure that what I'm doing is is not going to be too detrimental after that month. But I'll still have, you know, a bucket of M&Ms like I did this past weekend. <laughs> and I think it's important, man. I think I think what you're doing is important. I mean, I, you know, if I was talking as a, I was preaching as a pure health guru, right? That's what the 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 path I wanted to come down on people was, then I'd say, no, galip, bad galip. But that is not going to change what you want to do and what you're going to do when I'm not around. So what I say, you know, galip, you own that. You enjoy those M&Ms, but remember, 
come the next moment that you decide for yourself that, that you need the discipline to be where you need to be in another couple of weeks to feel the way you want to feel that you won't then resort to the M&Ms. But I really wanted to touch on something real quick as well is if you were to, if you were to tell these people that are listening to you right now going, you know what, I feel like I relate to Galip quite well. What is your routine? What is a, what is a daily routine that you stick to? So, so run me through a typical day in Galip's life when he's you know, firing on all cylinders, he's feeling great, he's on top of the world. Um, hit me with your routine, your daily routine, because I think it's important that we relate to your routines because we have the same life. There's someone that there were two kids that's done 10 years of uni that struggled with weight loss but is now finding their groove. Now they want to go, okay, I want to take that to the next level. Galip, inspire me. That's what they're sitting there thinking. All right. Um, well, my day typically starts before 5 a.m., uh, before my kids were born, I didn't think 4am existed. Um, <laughs> Until Samantha, you have kids who knew those hours existed. Samantha used to get up at 4.30am to go to work and I'm like, why are you getting up? This time doesn't exist. This is blank time. But um, now I'm up at, you know, before 5, about 4.45, my alarm goes off. I don't like to snooze because I just feel worse even mm. after. So as soon as my alarm goes off, I'm up, out of bed. Um, first thing I like to do is have a shower um, just to freshen off for the day uh, and just get my thoughts together. I sit in the shower for a couple of seconds just to see what I'm uh, – just my me time. So that's – people say meditate, whatever. I just like to keep my mind blank or as blank as can be. Um, and then I come in and train. Um, I got to get dressed. I normally have my lunch and my work – all, all, everything I need for work packed from the day before and I'll come in to train. So I have to travel half an hour to a gym, which for most people, you know, is a long drive. Um, there's gyms everywhere. Most people can get to a gym within a two-minute walk or a two-minute drive. I travel 30 minutes to go to a gym that I like to go to, where I like to train at. And then I ha um, that goes for about an hour um, and then go to work. So... I have to drive an hour in the opposite direction. So I'm taking an hour out of my day for my me time or an hour and a half. So if I don't train, I don't have to wake up till 7.30. So I'm taking two hours out of my day um, for my me time. And the reason why I do that in the morning um, before anyone else wakes up is so I can spend more time at home with my family um, when I finish work. So I travel an hour in the other direction on a good day. Um, go to work. Uh, my job, I work for a local government, which is really flexible, and I do get to go home somewhat early-ish compared to what most people have to do. Um, come home, have dinner, which is normally prepared by Samantha, um, and she is really kind, lets me know. We have a weekly planner up, and... Can plan so I can plan my lunches around dinner, or if dinner changes, I'm able to be fluid uh, with my food. But um, and then get home, sp hopefully between four and five, spend some time with the kids, uh, play. We have a dance, um, go outside on the trampoline, um, have some dinner, have bath time, um, and then we have our bedtime routine, which generally involves anywhere between two and ten books. 
Um, <laughs> I like that huge variability. <laughs> Two and, uh, yeah, ten. Yeah, somewhere in between there. It depends uh, how the day's been. Um, it's not too bad for two kids because I've got one and she's on ten books individually. <laughs> so if I had two, that would be between, uh, what, five and twenty? Yeah, it's, be- it's between them. They, we, <laughs> we read together. Um, so we watch an episode of... Um, Peppa Pig and episode Bluey, which has become my new favourite show. <laughs> um, Bandit is the number one dad at the moment, I reckon. Uh, if you ever watch Bluey, <laughs> I've, I've 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 touched on that show. I, I'm yet to convince Quinn to like it. She's obsessed with Peppa Pig and a thing called Caillou. I don't know. It's some it sounds French, Charles <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> I don't know Caillou. Um, but yeah, and then we give them some dessert if they've been good, which is um, berries or grapes. Um, not saying that's what they get as um, throughout the day because they, being kids, we do allow them lots of chocolate and chips and ice cream and all this other stuff too. But um, finish off the day, some berries, strawberries, grapes, um, and it's bedtime. Um, then after that, it's my... You know, don't think. Sit down, watch some mindless TV shows. Um, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. so seeing seeing how much effort you put into it, that's a, that sounds like a massive day. I mean, yes, we all have our own routine, we have our own structure. If you were to take one component of your day that you could not live without, I mean, obviously the kids, but other than obviously playing with your kids, if you could, like the one component, is it the, the food, the training, the early rise? If you had to do, you're like, you know, I'm going to commit to that for the rest of my life, what one of those routines would it be? It'd be training. My um, my mindset when I come out, like it's, it's an hour of grueling work. Um, push myself as hard as I can. Uh, some days, some days I might take it a bit easier depending how I'm feeling um, and how much I want to annoy the coach on the day, mm. um, but yeah, it's I've never I've never come out of a training session saying that wasn't worth it. I think that's so important. I think if there's anyone there listening that's not really sold on exercise yet, and I think our biggest demographic is, is people who train. But if there's someone out there that are not that does not yet train, I think if you can just add a little bit of movement, and it doesn't have to be too intense, it doesn't have to be too out of control. It's just literally, can I move my knees, my ankles, my shoulders, my neck? Can I move my body? to make me feel better than when I... Just 20 minutes a day of finding at the moment um, with everything that's going on, we're not allowed to train at a gym, but I find 20 minutes for myself, um, go out, drive to a park. This morning was run to a park, uh, work out for 20 minutes and come home. It's just just moving my body. Um, As I said, I've never walked out after a session. I mean, that wasn't worth it. I should have slept in or I should have done something else instead. Um, I've never felt... Worse. upset or worse it's just just come out um it's my mind switches off don't have to think about work uh kids are hopefully still asleep at the time i'm training um if not uh samantha looks after them um but then she always gives me the time she's really supportive as well in everything that i do so it's getting getting that my me time um, awesome, and man. that's my me time three four times a week having someone who sees in line with your you know your goals in life and your objectives is really really important so it's good that you have a supportive wife but from listening to to you speak for the last 40 odd minutes it is obvious to me that you're a good dad you know your biggest challenge in life was becoming a dad and that's what you wanted to be it was a challenge but it is something that I can sense just the space you're holding in this room the space that you're speaking to me from 
I think you're an, you're a good dad. And I want to talk quickly, if we can, just five ten minutes on it. But about your childhood, you know, did this come, does this come naturally? Is this something that you've you know you being brought up in a, in a beautiful home as well, maybe, or was it not the case? Because I know that I'm a different dad to you know um, some of my early childhood experiences than I'm a different dad with some of my later childhood experiences. I've I've had the luxury of having you know three dads in my life, my my real dad. Um, who I didn't get to meet or spend too much time with before um, my mum and him split up. Um, my stepdad, which I spent 15 years with, um, who had an influence and um, it definitely was an example to me. And then I had 15, or I've had more than 15 years now with who I consider my dad, Russell. And he was the father that, uh, you know, helped me out when I moved out of home. I went into a family and spent some time living there for many years and he's now become my dad. So from my childhood, I've got a lot of exposure, a lot of context to draw from when I try and raise Quinn. I know that what I kind of want to see happen in her life, and I know what I definitely don't want to see in her life. You you are a good dad, but I want to know, what was your childhood like? What was your upbringing like? Uh, so my upbringing, is, it had its own challenges. Um, my mum and my biological dad, they split when I was quite young. Um, can't remember exactly how old I was, maybe between six and eight, maybe. Um, th- they split. Um, and then I lived with my mum and my dad moved around from place to place. Um, I don't remember exactly where he lived. There was a few, quite a few different houses I remember going to uh, to see him on the weekends. Um, but my mum was pretty much my dad until I was about... 14, 15, um, she was a single mum working her ass off pretty much. She would work Monday to Saturday, nine to five to put food on the table. But on top of that, she'd also work after hours, like night times. She was a hairdresser. So she would work, at, she'd go to different people's houses and do like, um, like stuff for herself just to get a little bit of extra cash into the house so from my early childhood what I remember is my mum working all the time so there was a lot of time when I was left at home um not really fend for myself because there was always a neighbor or somebody there that would look after me uh I remember one time I was quite sick with the flu and my mum had to work um and my neighbor was there and and just came into a house and just sat with me for <laughs> two days until I recovered. Um, but I think that's where I got a lot of my work ethic from is just seeing how much or how hard she used to work to make our life better. She, in that time, was able to buy a house. So we were renting for quite some time. Um, she was able to, you know, save money, give me what I needed. And all uh, on her own, right? This all is, on her own. Wow. Nothing, nothing from anybody. So she would get... As I said, she was working nine to five as a hairdresser who um, don't get paid a lot as it is um, and then go around to people's houses at nights and on Sundays and other weekends just to get more money. And I'd, I'd used to be in tow, being a young kid. She'd drag me along. Um, but in saying that, there was times as well where I was left at home where I remember eating dry two-minute noodles um, for two reasons, because I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and secondly, like, just... All was. That's all there was at sometimes, um, and I remember her telling me stories how she used to go hungry at night and not have dinner just so I could have something to eat. Um, so I, that that's what I remember. So that's 
as you've said, I've been at uni for 10 years. I've worked full-time during this time, got married, raising two kids as well in, in that period where I've been trying to study to make my life a bit easier. But it's a lot of work, and this is where I think I've got that work ethic from. Um, and then mid-teens, uh, my dad, or my stepdad, but I call, as you said, you've got your real dad who's your real dad. So that's what he's been to me since since then. Um, so more than half my life now, he's been there. He's been my dad. So my mum met him. It's probably one of the best things that's ever happened to her. Um, he, when we, when my mum met my dad, they were, um, he was a hard worker too. He was, you know, painting and decorating. Um, he was working Monday to Saturday too, trying to, you know, bring a little bit extra cash into the house after they got married and moved in. Um, and did that for a few years. Um, actually before, before my, they met, I remember there was a time, um, which helped me with my, again, with that work ethic from my mum is I used to actually work on my school holidays. Uh, we used to have friends who, uh, were builders, um, and they used to bring me out on site. Uh, I used to move, you know, wood, sandbag, stuff like that for, you know, 25, 30, 50 bucks a day. Um, just so I can buy what I wanted to. So I'd work for my during, you know, during the school holidays for two weeks. Um, one of the first times I did that, I was able to buy myself a PlayStation after you know working my ass off. So that's where I learned. You know, you work hard, you get rewarded. You get rewarded. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, in saying that, then with my stepdad used to do the same thing. So weekends go work with him, uh, sand down walls, um, move buckets of paint. He wouldn't trust me with the painting. But, you know, um, do all the odd jobs around there that he needed done um, on yep. his job site, on school holidays and stuff like that. So that's where I got a lot of my work ethic from. And he's taught me a lot. You know, he taught me to drive. This this guy's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? And so he, you do draw a lot of influence from from him. Is yeah, he, so do you if, wanna... if I'm half the man that he is, or if I become half the man he is as a dad, um, my see. kids are going to be, they're going to be good. They'll, yeah. they'll be happy. They they love him. They love his grand. Like they call him Dede. That's he's his. He is their Dede. Like he's their granddad. Like yeah, that's there's no one fun. else there for them. So, um, they they love him. Not all the time. <laughs> he loves to tease them a lot, um, and they do get <laughs> a little bit annoyed at him sometimes. But you know, like I see it. They don't. We go to their house. They don't want to leave. Um, yeah. They go up, give him cuddles, give him hugs. Um, they spoil. They spoil them rotten, which is a bit annoying for us when we get home and we don't give them what they want. <laughs> but um, yeah, they 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 love their granddad. So as if if I become, you know, if I only have to work half as hard as he does um, as a dad that he was, uh, and give your kids I'll be the good. Best life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I, if, and if that's why I wanted to bring it up because I can sense, like I said, that the space that you hold is one that, like I even, like I said to you at the start of this, uh, the podcast about how I think you are a loyal, you're a man of your word, you know, you uphold things that you say you're going to do, you do, you don't say you're going to do something and you do something, you're not wishy-washy. Um, and I think that a lot of the things that you're talking about, um, what, your dad's name, what, what, well, Attila. Attila. It's, it sounds like he was like that, you know, and so there you looked up to him, you're like, well, if I want to, I'm looking up to this role model in my life and I want to be like him, then I must behave in this certain fashion. And I think that's really cool. And I wanted to find out where your child, because sometimes, you know, like I was saying, I think uh, if you listen to the last podcast with Q, I was saying that sometimes our parents can be either examples 
or they can be teachers. Like, so they could be an example of what not to do. And so we can develop all of our morals and stuff around, you know, what we don't want in our lives. Or they can be people like, like, uh, like your dad and, and they can create lessons for us to learn by and strive by. And I think he's done that for you. And I think you're doing that for your kids. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing man. My and, mom's and obviously your mum, yeah, so. and that, and it goes it goes both ways. I mean, um, you know, you've got that fatherly bond with your kids, so therefore you'll learn that fatherly energy. There is definitely a motherly and a fatherly energy, and there definitely should be, um, you know, for that that environment. You know, if you don't have a, um, a dad or you don't have a mum or whatnot, then that person can be a combination of the two energies. And I think that that requires a lot of work there from the individual. For you to have a lot of motherly energy and a lot of feminine energy is something that you'd have to learn, and I mean, it's good that you can then now pass what you've learned from both your mum, that motherly energy onto your kids and that fatherly energy onto your kids. And I think that is the most important thing that we, could, that we can do. So thanks for sharing, Galip. Now, um, so that, that, that brings me to a few other things that I want to talk to you about. So we've gone through your childhood and I wanted to talk about that. But some books that you've read... I want to go through some books because, you know, I, I believe, and not everyone reads books, but I do believe that uh, a certain of what we read will influence our direction. And if we're, you know, we're always, you know, reading shitty newspapers and shitty news, it can, it can influence our direction. Um, or if we're reading good quality, you know, books, just classic books or even educational books. Um, are there any books that you've read recently? And are you a reader, for one, or do you audio book or do you not read at all? Um, hit me up with that. Uh, with with books, uh, I like when I'm reading or I f- that's my me time. So it's yeah. part of my routine. Yeah, I like pictures. Oh, I do like <laughs> pictures. Um, it's a lot of Facebook, a lot of reading on Facebook and Twitter. No, mm-hmm. but um, what I've recently started to do is incorporate this into my routines. But half an hour, 45 minutes before bed or before I go to sleep is go read, read some of my books. Um, but the books that I like to read are more fictional, mm-hmm. um, something to take me away from the world, so I don't have to think about you know what, any stress that I might have coming up, or you know what I need to do for the next day. Um, it's just something to help me unwind. So it's a lot of fiction books, um, a lot of fast-paced action type stuff. What's your favorite fiction book that you've read? Uh, I love everything from Matthew Riley. Um, He's uh, he's an Aussie Aussie author. Um, he has quite a few different things. A lot of like uh, there's a book called Seven Ancient Wonders, uh, which I do like. Um, and it's really um, as I said, it's a bit fast paced, a bit of history. I do like history, um, but but in books wise, that's what I like to do. Um, pretty much, and any other reading I do is either for work or Facebook. <laughs> mm, I think in this day and age, I think, you know, digital reading, like, you know, just off Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is, is becoming quite a dominant form of where our information comes from, which can be beneficial and it can be very dangerous. I mean, if you look at the situation we're in at the moment, a lot of misinformation around the world is uh, perpetuated by those sources. But again, some great, um, amazing information is also out there for us to lay our eyes on. Yeah, I do. I do like to listen to a lot of podcasts, though. Um, I do drive a lot. Um, I mean, your favorite podcast is this one, but other than that, of course, it's my new favorite podcast. Yeah. Can't wait for every Monday for it to come out. Second in line, though, Clip. <laughs> what is your second favorite podcast? Second, um, I probably can't uh, categorize them because it depends on my mood mm. on the day and what I feel like listening to. Um, but you know, I, I travel two hours for work. You know, two and a half hours extra per day for work. Um, 
and training, etc. So at the moment, I like listening to a history podcast called You're Dead to Me. Uh, and they put a little bit of fun twist on it. So they talk about a, um, a different historical figure uh, every podcast. Um, it's still a fairly recent one. Um, but yeah, so and then they have a comedian on at the same time and a historian. So it's a lot of banter and a lot of, you know, a little, little bit of fun and a little bit of history. So learning about new people and new things and new times. Awesome. So that's, that's a good one if anyone wants to have a listen. Now... Uh, after you've listened to all of our episodes, of course. But of course, um, listen to this first. Moving forward, yes, you can. Um, now, I, I'm a big quote type of guy, and I love quotes. I mean, I don't, I don't write them all over my walls, but I recall them and I need them. And so I wanted to ask you, Galip, if you were to have a quote that you were living by at the moment, right? And I think different quotes represent different periods in our life. Like right now, mine's about adversity and overcoming adversity and whatnot because we're in a position of, of challenge um, financially with our business being shut down through the COVID-19. But those quotes are resonating loud as day with me and they are motivating me to be better. If you were to tell me a quote that you were living by at the moment or some sort of quote that you love, what would it be? I had a quote earlier uh, when we were talking about challenges. Um, it was in my head, but got to note it down is it the egg one no that was before that <laughs> um that's that's your one shane uh talk about adversity um but for those of you listening the egg one that we were talking about was the was it the water that softens the potato also hardens the egg oh yeah, that, that's a good that one, one down. We, did, we both saw it on, i think we both saw it off the same source yep. material um oh, it, was, it was about being a dad but i can't remember it off the top of my head now It'll come to your watch. You'll, we'll we'll press it. stop record and you'll be like, ah, oh, there it is. Turn it back on. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, I mean, quotes are one of my favorite things. I think that, you know, you can use them in, in times of, of trauma and times of happiness, you know, to express yourself. I think um, that egg one that you brought up was really, really cool. I think it is so true, you know. You've got it. Yeah, I gave you so I was trying to buy you some time, buddy. Go. All right, so this is, this is what I've pretty much over the past few years um, – that we're talking about is trying to make myself be here for my girls but if you can't look after yourself you can't look after others so looking after myself is helping me look after my kids cool. uh, my wife so that's that's my quote it is it is very very true and and i and i always like to challenge quotes i'm like you know why is why is that so powerful because sometimes i think that i'm doing a terrible job looking after myself but yet i can still look after my my uh my wife and my daughter. However, I do realize that I could look after them better had I looked after myself first. And I think that's that's the important part. Although I think, oh, that quote, like, I mean, I, I haven't even taken a shower in three days, yet I can still bath my little girl. And I can still make sure my wife feels okay, you know, I think. <laughs> um, and so therefore I'm doing a terrible job looking after myself first. But I do realize that the power in that quote is when you look around it. So and when you look around it, it's if I was to look after myself better, then I would care for them easier. And if... If you did give yourself, you know, three, four minutes to have a shower, you put your mental space, you get your space, you know, your mental space in a good good spot and you can look after yourself. And it's with that quote, I use it on a lot of new parents. Um, so I've had a few people who are new parents. Uh, I'm not sure if I told you when Quinn was born, but a couple of friends of mine had a, have had babies in the past year and they had troubles with their babies and their children. And I said, look, give yourself five minutes, go have a shower go to the toilet if that's what you want to do, sit on your phone just five minutes or what, however long you need and then come back and do what you need to do and that helps with that frustration that we are talking about earlier. If you just give yourself that, that moment, you know, bring that frustration under control, 
and you can help look after those kids. 100%. I think sometimes we let our frustrations come through things we have not yet done in the day and it gets all on top of us. And if we haven't looked after ourselves, that can overwhelm us quite a lot. Now, one of the ways I like to finish up is favourite gadgets, Galip. I'm a gadget type of guy. One of my favourite things is to buy a new little gadget, pull it out of the box and play with it for a little while and just figure out how it's going to improve my life. Now, if there's a gadget that's not your iPhone and it can't be your iPhone, if you've got a Samsung, it can't be that either. Yeah, good, because someone will go, oh, it's a Samsung. Um, if it's, yeah, it's not an iPhone, it's not, it's not a phone. It's, it's a Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, too many phones. It is a gadget that has improved your life and you feel now that you are not able to survive without it. Like, you know, it's a bloody improved my bloody day. What is one gadget that you would tell me all about? I don't have a gadget. Oh, you're not a you gadget. You let Q pick an app. Can I use an app? Yes, actually, that's fair. I did let him pick an app, and that is I'm going to add See, that to I listen, my list. I listen to your podcast. You do good job. You got to the end of it at least. <laughs> Skip to the end. Oh, apps. I've actually had to delete this app. Um, it, I was getting it a bit was, too. It was that good. It, I was getting addicted to it, um, <laughs> and it, it was taking time away from my children, so I did have to delete it. Um, it's it was just a simple puzzle. Again, this comes back to looking after yourself. It helped me tune out. Um, of the world for a few minutes so um it started off as a few minutes and it started to become a couple hours a day so (laughs) i deleted it um but it was just a simple like tetris uh app um it wasn't tetris but similar to tetris and you just had to build blocks and when you got a line it disappeared and but you kept on going and it wasn't too bad until i found the daily challenges and you could go back in daily challenges and i had gone back quite a few months uh completing the daily challenges so i had to delete (laughs) it but it it helped me if I was stressed. I, at first, when I was stressed, or if I just needed to get away for a few moments, I just sit on that app, um, and work, work a couple of puzzles. Um, again, help help move the brain, help the brain tick over a little bit rather than just zoning out. Um, but as apps are designed to do, I was starting to become addicted to it, so I, <laughs> I deleted it last week. Um, but I, f- I did find for a little while that that did work quite well. That's awesome, and that, that's exactly why I love this stuff because it does open up a whole new area for us to travel down, a little rabbit hole for us, to, so to speak, to, to travel down. And we don't want to get stuck in it, but we just want to see what it's like. All right, Galip, that's, uh, that's going to wrap us up. That's over the hour now, and we like to keep these chats to about an hour. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy day. Um, I want to congratulate you on being uh, an amazing dad and a good provider for your wife and a good provider for yourself. Thank you, Shane. Um, no, and you're welcome. you too as well. I understand you're going through some tough times with all the restrictions and lockdowns. Um, but being the resilient man you are, I'm sure you'll find a way through and get through it. Thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate all your time. If you want to find Galip, how are we going to find you, Galip? Instagram? I uh, post on Instagram a lot. Uh, What's it on, Galip? Spell it out because it's probably Jane. At Hi, my name is Galip. Oh, all one it. word. So H-I-M-Y-N-A-M-E-G-A-L-I-P. Hi, my name is Jalip. Thank you very much, Galip. Have a beautiful day, guys. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast and I will see you next week. Take it easy.